Are you tired of fighting your air? Constantly lighting candles or replacing air fresheners to mask household odors from pets, smoke, musty basement, shoes, or just stagnant, stuffy air, yet never gaining on it? Take charge of your air with an Easy Breathe ventilation system. For over 20 years, Easy Breathe has been providing air exchanges and reducing airborne particles by up to 85%. Right now, receive 20% off your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. Call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com. Between aging and busy lifestyles, many women struggle with maintaining their physical and mental wellness. At Aquavita Concierge Healthcare Services for Women, we can help you revitalize your health and reclaim your life. We start from within by balancing your hormones, allowing your body to achieve and maintain desired weight goals. We also specialize in peptide therapies, regenerative medicine, sexual health, and aesthetics in our state-of-the-art facilities. Feel better, look better, live better. At Aquavita, visit aquavitality.com and begin your journey today. Welcome to High Stakes, Episode 16. I'm your host, Neil Orfield. You can find me on Twitter, at PlayerQDFS. The producer today, as always, is Mike Lawrence. You can find him on Twitter, at AwesomeYo. And my guest today is Steve Buzzard on Twitter, at Steve Buzzard. You probably know him better, though, as DeColtz on FanDuel and DraftKings, one of the best DFS players in the world across sports, across uh, football, basketball, baseball, MMA. The list goes on. Steve wins at everything, including in 2018. Steve had a particularly epic year where he had several weeks that he just killed the football season. Uh, but perhaps most impressively, he won a Millie Maker and then went on to win the 2018 FanDuel World Fantasy Football Championship. Steve, uh, we have talked a little bit here and there uh, through DMs. Not, not a ton, but you're still probably in my, like if we did one of those bubbles of people you talk to the most about DFS, you'd probably be in my bubble there. Uh, but this is the first time we've ever talked in person. So um, happy to meet you today. How, how are you feeling today? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, really have enjoyed a lot of the shows that you guys, that you uh, have done here so far. So glad to get a chance to hang out a little bit, talk some DFS, talk about, uh, you know, what the DFS lifestyle looks like, what what we're working on and uh yeah great stuff thanks for having me on yeah should be should be a good conversation thanks for coming on i like your rock set I, I saw the hat and i thought about switching to my rockies hat people always comment they think i'm from colorado i actually have only been to colorado once it was on my honeymoon i went to a rockies game it was sunny my wife and i each both bought hats because it was sunny out uh you actually live in colorado though you you moved out there when you went pro in dfs if i remember correctly where where are you from originally and what uh why did you decide on colorado yeah, so so it was probably sunny that day because it's sunny every day in Colorado. Yeah. Uh, that's the one of the main reasons that we moved out here uh, was the ability to just have a nice uh, atmosphere and ability to just go hiking kind of whenever we want uh, and just enjoy the outdoor. We love that type of stuff. Uh, the kids, family, everybody. So we, we really get uh, some a lot of enjoyment out of that. Originally grew up in uh, Indiana, spent a lot of time in Indianapolis, uh, and then moved out to New York for a while before coming out here. So all those are much more gloomy places uh, to be. So that's, you know, that's really where, where, we, where we got our chance to move out here. 
I probably should have been able to guess that based on your username to Colts. Uh, I know that you're a, you're a Colts fan and you're also a fan of like the Bulls and the Cubs, if I remember correctly. Uh, what, what's, how, how did that happen? Are they, just, are they the closest? Uh, no, the Pacers are right there in Indiana. How did that happen? Yeah, so, so I mean, growing up, the Cubs were basically on TV or the radio every day. So got to definitely check them out every day. Uh, I remember coming home from uh, school, turning on the radio, listening to the game or, or watching the game that day, or, you know, depending on whichever one was on then many times just going up to Wrigley to, to watch in some games. So that was that. And then with the bulls, Michael Jordan was playing during the time growing up. So definitely had to um, enjoy that time frame. Um, so I think those are the main things. I don't follow any specific teams nearly as closely now as what I used to. So I, I don't know that those are like. Including the Colts. Um, <laughs> yeah. Including the Colts. My teams are whoever, whoever I want <laughs> to win that week, I guess is probably <laughs> my, my team that this specific week. Yeah, I mean, that's that's largely true for me, too. I am now, you know, I'm a Timberwolves fan. I'm definitely a bigger Timberwolves fan than any other Minnesota sport. But I I want the Vikings to win. I want the Twins to win. But if it's going to cost me, you know, $30,000, I'll take my money instead. Uh, yep. I asked you the question, like, like I don't know why you would be a Bulls and Cubs fan. I was I was a Bulls and Cubs fan because they were they were on WGN, and the Bulls in particular were a power horse. I was actually a Scottie Pippen guy. I, I guess mm-hmm. that was my way of getting different, um, getting unique, despite following the same team as everybody else. Anyway, uh, let, let's move on and talk a little bit more about your background, more specific to DFS. I like to start with the question, uh, what kind of background do you have in statistics, and do you have formal or informal training? Yeah, so not really any specific formal training in statistics other than, you know, some college classes that I took. But um, in general, my family has just kind of always been pretty good at math and more just like intuitively understanding math, I guess, more so than like understanding specific statistics in general. And like finite math is probably something I kind of excelled at a little bit more so than even statistics. Most of my statistics training is kind of like, if I am unsure of how to do something, I might Google it. But in general, it's more, I think this is how it should work. Uh, I don't know if there's really a formal statistics methodology around it, but I'm going to make it work this way because it's what it kind of feels like to me of how uh, I should solve this type of a problem. So so what what I actually what we actually do like doing as a as a family quite a bit is we just ask I just often ask at dinner like the kids, um, you know, some of those fun games where the like I don't know if you've ever heard of the kind of the the random interview questions of like how many piano repair shops are there in Chicago and essentially they have to think through and come up with a solution on why and how much the like how much the answer is and then they just kind of walk through and you just kind of help work on your intuitive skill set that way and uh, problem solving and critical thinking. And so I, I normally like to come up with a couple of, of those questions um, a couple times a week and just have them think through it and uh, me do the same and see what kind of answers we come up with. You, you mentioned on, uh, you did an interview with uh, 
Brian Jester, the emotional bankroll, you were one of his first guests. And you mentioned that uh, your wife helps out with some of the programs that you run just to kind of check how you're doing in DFS. And that also your son has now gotten into it. It sounds like you have a, a pretty smart family in general. That, that doesn't really shock me, uh, but <laughs> that you, you got the whole family working for you. <laughs> yep. Yeah. They've all helped me out at different times. Um, you know, my wife did that a, a lot while uh, our littlest one was at home and she was, you know, staying home with him at that time. And now she's kind of moved on from helping out on that as much. And, and my son has been helping out a bit more. And yeah, it's been super helpful to, to have that, those type of things and people to just kind of help you with, with those type of processes. That's really, that's impressive that you can find that kind of help within your own home. And yeah, not, not at all shocking that you have a brilliant family. Uh, but uh, on that topic, what, what kind of training, formal or informal, do you have in computer programming? Yeah, so computer programming, I'm pretty much awful at. So you're not going to see me working in Python or anything like that. Um, yeah, basically, I'm going to do none of that. If in, if you consider Excel computer programming, which I mean, it kind of is the same, then I guess I'm pretty good. I would say I'm probably in maybe like the top 0.01% of Excel users, okay. I would say. Um, so like, I think that that's a, an area that I really excel at. But the same thing, like in regards to was that formal training, not so much. It's more of I have a problem that I want to solve and I will Google to figure out how to uh, solve that problem. So I think you definitely shouldn't uh, be intimidated of, you know, learning Excel or, or something. Although I, I guess I should say the opposite. Maybe I shouldn't be intimidated for le learning Python, you know, or something right. like that. But uh, I have been and I just haven't had the time to be able to, to do so. But uh, yeah, I think Excel you can do the majority of the stuff you want to be able to do there. And it has a really good user interface. So that's kind of the way that I've gone about doing those type of things. Okay. So with, with that background or kind of lack of background in mind, uh, tell me about approximately when did you start getting involved with DFS and, and what drew you into DFS? Yeah. So I started in 2013 and 2014, kind of in that time frame. So I've been around pretty much as long as, most anybody, I would say at this point, right? A lot of a lot of people started in that time have quit, I feel like. Um, but uh, there are still quite a few that still are. What really got me interested in it is just like the strategy of games in general. So um, I've always really loved playing season-long fantasy games. I always loved playing strategy games. So it was kind of like a combination of the two that uh, brought me together. So I, so I was in a lot of season-long fantasy games, like fantasy football especially, and uh, fantasy baseball, basketball a little bit, but not maybe not quite as much as the other two. And those, those were a lot of fun. Um, but it was a long grind to, to play each of them. Uh, but, there, but there was a lot of fun with that. And then there, there was a lot of like online uh, games started coming out, bef but even before DraftKings and, and FanDuel uh, that, were, that were pretty interesting as well. Like I know even NBC started playing, um, they started doing like these Sunday night contests well before there was Sunday night showdowns. They, they were, you could just basically pick any players that you wanted. And I won one of those. Um, so trying to take on my, my DFS skills. Now I, I solo shipped one of those, which is very hard when you just had to pick 
whoever you wanted to. Yep. So not even salary as an issue. Um, so that was, that was a pretty cool thing. Nowhere near the prizes that they have now, but, um, but yeah, it was just like things like that was, was kind of what got me interested in it. We, it sounds like we have very similar backgrounds. I also started in 2013. Uh, just, I didn't, I, I've told the story several times. I didn't really care about basketball. So I was going to watch basketball with my brother. I was like, I guess I'll do this fan duel thing, make some lineups here. And that got me hooked in DFS. I also, I played on uh, my, my first win in a big, like in a large field type of contest was on a website called snap.com, which was defunct, I think within a couple of years after I played on it, but it was supposedly there were like 30,000 people in it. I have no idea how many of those were actually real people. Um, but all I remember about it is that I won basketball and then the next week I won baseball. And I remember that the baseball one I had, John Rocker was my relief pitcher and uh, he, he had turned out to be a racist shithead, but uh, he was uh, at the time, he was just one of the guys like he was going to pitch. Uh, the, the Braves had a lot of games that week. That's the, one of the few things I remember was that he did really well for me. Uh, so that kind of, I guess I would, and I also come from a fantasy sports background where I played season long for forever fantasy football, fantasy baseball. So very similar backgrounds uh, in that sense, but uh, I'm actually, I, let's go back a little bit more. So even before DFS, you had a pretty interesting career before DFS, right? You were, uh, you were, were you on wall street? What, what were you doing before DFS? So no, not on wall street specifically. I, I worked for a consulting company for uh, quite a few years. And then, uh, then I went to work for a fortune 100 company where I was running one of their, uh, large units, um, in the finance side. So a lot, of, a lot of my background was on the finance side. And, you know, I think that that was what really helped, you know, in addition to the, the strategy games and the season long games that that fantasy back or that finance background kind of uh helped out quite a bit as well as well as I, I know you've had a lot of people on here that played poker as well i did play poker maybe not like professionally as much as some of the other folks but it, that was primarily because i was playing or because i was working quite a bit uh at the same time but i was probably semi-professional good at and and pretty good at that but uh just yeah those were kind of my main things i was doing back then were you, were you playing online or were you actually like going to casinos to play poker uh, most often online, occasionally I would do some, you know, in-person poker, but the majority of the time I was playing online tournaments, uh, a lot of sit and goes, those seemed like they were super soft at the time back in the day. Uh, you could manage, plus you could manage a lot more sit and goes at the same time because you didn't have to, you could play quite a few of uh, hands you know like you know you weren't having to play as many hands at each table so like tournaments you could just sit there a long time also so definitely wasn't as big into uh cash games but i wanted to be able when i could play which you know was was quite limited i wanted to make sure i was be able to play as much as possible so yeah i like those type of games okay right on uh all right back back to dfs were you a winning dfs player right away uh and did you immediately play high volume or did you ramp up over time after you'd seen some success between aging and busy lifestyles many women struggle with maintaining their physical and mental wellness at aquavita concierge Healthcare services for women we can help you revitalize your health and reclaim your life we start from within by balancing your hormones allowing your body to achieve and maintain desired weight goals we also specialize in peptide therapies regenerative medicine sexual health and aesthetics in our state-of-the-art facilities feel better look better live better at aquavita visit aquavitality.com and begin your journey today did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? 
you can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com slash renew to learn more. Yeah, so, so I was looking back because I always kind of remember, uh, <laughs> try to try to remember what the timeframes were, but I was looking back at my tracker uh, to, to verify. But when I started off, um, I started off with pretty much a, a basic uh, deposit of $500, which was matched for uh, on FanDuel only. That was the only one I was playing on at the time. And that was matched, 100% match. I eventually went on DraftKings and got a match there as well. So uh, DFS sites don't have the matches anymore, but uh, you should definitely be taking advantage of those type of matches uh, or free bets in the sports betting world because it's the same type of thing right now where you're getting essentially free money. So that was like the biggest one that they had at that time. Uh, even the, now with sports betting, the, the bets are like the amount that they're able to match you for are even bigger than, than that a lot of times. So I've seen some in the thousand or 2000 even wow. uh, that you can have in sports betting. So, so that's pretty awesome. Uh, but, but yeah, I started off with that $1,000 on FanDuel, played fantasy football, DFS football uh, that first year in uh, 2013. Had a pretty good season. Um, I think I turned that $1,000 into around 50,000, which was pretty good. It, I mean, it wasn't something that was like a life-changing type year. I didn't win any massive tournaments, but it was just like a consistently pretty good season. Uh, normally playing just one to five lineups probably and playing a fair amount of cash games as well as uh, tournaments. So that went pretty well. I didn't play any of the sports that uh, next year, like baseball or basketball, uh, et cetera, because I was traveling a lot at that time with uh, work. So my work not only was the travel within the U.S., but I also did a lot of overseas travel and you could, just couldn't play uh, overseas or anything like that. So didn't really make it a priority to – to learn how to, to play all those other sports. But once football season started back up again next the next year, I had another pretty good season. And that was the time I was like, okay, we're not traveling quite as much this year. I'm going to really dig into uh, the NBA season. And I would say it was that NBA season that really kickstarted my bankroll and, and really turned things around because back then, I would say the NBA contests were quite soft. Uh, basically, if you had pretty good projections, you could beat most people, I would say. And I was able to do that pretty well. So uh, one thing I did know from finance was, you know, how, how much you could make off of like stock returns and how that could like, you know, that, that type of um kind of keep compounding your interest is really helpful to, to your bankroll and not, but the thing with DFS was you could essentially get multi years worth of stock market compounding and do that within like days. So it really helped build your, your bankroll up uh, super quickly. Uh, and I was basically by the end of 
you know, actually, I guess even within that season, I could essentially play like any of the contests I wanted to play. Um, that's also why I'm no no good at bankroll management because I never really had to had to, <laughs> to try to get good at it. So yeah, um, yeah. So I guess that was kind of that background. Okay, so you say that uh, there weren't that many good projections around. So th- this is the 2014-15 NBA season is when you really started kind of taking off, making making the big bucks. Keeping in mind that you had won fifty, that you had won forty thousand your your first season playing NFL, and to you that is not big bucks because you have won so much over the years that uh, that's uh, just a small sum to you. But the the fourteen fifteen NBA season is the first year that for you you considered it to be uh, big winning. So were you creating your own projections at that point, or were you using projections from an outside source? Yeah, so so I was working full time at that at that time. Um, basically, I would get home late at you know right before lock and kind of make a couple lineups and put them in so i had to make my process as quick as possible essentially and there there's a there's one key site i guess i would say was a basketball monster at that time most people are pretty familiar with basketball monster they had good um like maybe okay projections i think but what they were really good at was projecting minutes uh, back then. So what I would do is I would just, I kind of created my own projection system and dumped in their minutes and let it uh, tell me what I should play. So that, that was my general process then. And that also gave me a chance to be different from folks with my own process also. Um, because like a lot of people, I think we're using their projections or else no projections at all. So so yeah, I, I guess you could say it's kind of a mix of my own and theirs. I didn't really have time to do the minute projections at that time, but uh, but yeah, I think that was that was kind of like the the best of both worlds uh, in order to be different because I wasn't using like any ownership or anything like that at the time. Just kind of running typically three different lineups and making sure that the lineups were a little bit different from each other uh, more so than anything. Man, I feel like I missed out by not having by not knowing how to do the kinds of things that you did because I was I started playing uh in in 2013 the 2013 NBA season I was one of the fish that you were taking all of your money from every week so now (laughs) so I'm jealous of you that you got in when it was still pretty easy to make money because you know even even being a fish I was by that point I was still not losing a ton of money I was still like close to a break-even player I think at that point despite having no idea what I was doing so I can only imagine the amount of money that you were making and the consistency with which you were making money which even even for a great player like you you know you you can't win uh, you can't win every day anymore you you can't win every week anymore I assume I I don't think anybody really wins every week anymore so to be able to just win day after day after day that must have been pretty big rush was that uh do you miss those days (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would certainly be pretty cool if it, if it was still the case, but I figured that that wasn't going to last for forever. But um, yeah, it, it was pretty much daily. I, I remember back in that season, um, right before the All-Star break that year, or yeah, I think it was right before the All-Star break, like I lost a couple of days in a row and I was just like what is going on is it uh something it to broken? do with with the all-star break is, <laughs> are teams not playing as hard because they're getting they're mentally getting ready to take a time off uh and 
you know, I'm sure it was probably a lot of, you know, that's just variance at, at the time. Although I did have found that there are a few things that do happen right before the all-star break, like assist rates tend to go down because people are just taking kind of lazier shots and, and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, it was just kind of interesting to, uh, it, it's a very different versus now. And, and I think though, that that is one thing that people should be aware of now. I get, I get that question a lot, especially in baseball of, oh, the last week I've had a really bad week. What, what am I doing wrong? And it's it's just kind of like most of the time, it's just probably variance in your process. It's not really you're doing anything wrong. Uh, you just have to be able to sift through that that time frame. And that's why, uh, although I'm bad at it, bankroll management is very important to, uh, to take into consideration because you want to ensure that uh, when you do have a couple of bad weeks or something that's not going to uh, kind of like negate your whole process and you're not going to be able to play anymore. So one of the things I said on a different podcast was like, I, I have a pretty, I feel pretty confident that there's probably some player out there that was like one of the best players that could have played DFS ever, but they didn't have good bankroll management. They kind of like blew their money before they had a chance to really uh, capitalize on that skill set that they had. So don't become that person. Yeah, you said you said that on Jester's podcast, and I think there's no doubt about it that there have been some really great players, players who probably are a lot more skilled than I am at DFS, who have just they didn't have luck in their first month or two and end up giving up. And I, I've given the the example for baseball. Last year, I had my best MLB DFS season ever, uh, and in the month of August, I had one winning day the entire month, and it wasn't even like a hugely winning day. I think I I maybe won like ten thousand dollars, but relative to how much I'm spending every day, that was a majorly losing month, and that's like <laughs> something you just kind of get got to get used to that. Sometimes sometimes in DFS like that's it happens sometimes you're just going to have losing streaks where you never get things just right and especially especially if you're 150 maxing obviously it's uh you need to be top five to have a winning day generally it's like you you just don't win unless you are near the top so uh yeah it's definitely part of the game uh all right so I want to get up to where you join Awesomeo, but uh, let's just talk about how you get there. So, so you you started playing DFS and you were still working full time in finance. Uh, how long did you continue with your finance job after you started crushing at DFS? And then, how long were you? Uh, was there a gap where you just playing DFS before you joined the Awesomeo team? Yeah. So, good question. Um, I was doing full time finance until. T- 2019, I think, essentially. Um, So it was quite a while. It was basically after the NFL season that you mentioned earlier that I was just kind of like, all right, so there's really, at this point, there's not really a whole lot of uh, point to continue to do some of like the full-time finance stuff. And it gives me a chance to move out to Colorado, spend a little bit more time with the family and do those type of things. Uh, and, and then just, you know, do things that are fun to do instead of uh, essentially doing two full-time jobs for, uh, so 20, so about three or four years there, that was basically two full-time jobs and, you know, very high stress jobs, both of them as well. Uh, so it, it was, um, really tough through three or four years there. And that kind of helped me to, um, yeah, try to get out of that, that rut a little bit. And then I did uh, DFS alone just for a 
maybe like a year there, I guess. Although that was like the time that COVID hit as well. So yep. some of that time was with no sports to, to play. But I mean, that was kind of a, an interesting time, like just to be able to, luckily, that was a, a good spot to be in Colorado so that you could do things away from uh, folks and kind of yep. get out and do hiking and, and stuff like that. So that was kind of nice uh, to have that ability to, uh, to still continue to do that. But, uh, but yeah, after, during that time frame, I mean, I had met Alex, uh, quite a few times at a lot of the live finals. Uh, he's at most every live final I met most every live final. As you go to a lot of the live finals, you kind of get meeting the same people kind of over and over again. And, um, every, everyone is fun. I, I don't know that I've had a bad experience with more than maybe a couple of people in total at any of those events. Um, if even that, maybe, I don't even know if I can think of any, anybody no, no boxing matches to set up here. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, I don't think so. Not, not yet. Um, but yeah, just hanging out with Alex at, at all of the events was always a lot of fun. And it was just so, someone that I seemed to have a lot in common with, uh, talking to at the, at the event. So just, we, since we were always there, we kind of made it a, uh, a habit of hanging out together. And, you know, when he kind of brought up the idea of coming to work for the site, I thought, yeah, I thought that would be pretty fun uh, to be able to do. I was going to be able to do some. It's Chevy truck season. And with the Chevy Silverado, there's no such thing as an uphill battle. With the Chevy Silverado, you can take on the mountains or you can move them. Because with impressive towing capability, an available 13.4-inch diagonal touchscreen, and a choice of powerful engines to pick from, whatever your mountain, there's a Silverado with the capability you need. Click to learn more. Find new roads at your local Chevy dealer. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Finance stuff, work on some tools um, and all that type of stuff, which I mean, can't hardly beat that so yeah i thought it was that was kind of how that played out yeah you've got a pretty pretty diverse skill set and definitely something that seems useful for for a startup like awesome i mean i don't know if you'd call it not not a startup anymore but maybe at that time still kind of more of a startup so definitely seems like uh you're probably a good fit for awesome uh right away but you you do some content for awesome I've, I've watched several of your videos but you also do a lot of work behind the scenes so what kind of stuff do you do for the company yeah, so you're right. I do some content occasionally. I was doing a daily 
uh, video, which I guess it was a rotation of Sean, Alex, and I uh, doing those videos every day, which I've had several people come up to me and just say, hey, I watched all, all those videos that you guys were, uh, and Terry, and Terry was doing them as well. Um, I've watched the, all those videos, and that's what's really kind of propelled me to uh, doing well. So so that's a cool thing. And, and those are still on the site in our uh, NBA and MLB pro play videos. So if anyone ever wants to go back and check those out, definitely encourage that. But in general, um, I'm not doing as much of the day-to-day -day, uh, shows. It's just more of like on the random day that um, whether I need to do them or if it's an NFL show or something like that. But in general, I'll let Adam and Eric and guys like that that are much better at uh, doing that than me. So I'll, I'll try to stick to the things that I'm a little, <laughs> a little bit better at doing. So I spend probably like 50% of my time, I would say, doing finance-related stuff and about 50% of the time uh, doing data and tools type things, um, which, you know, if the data and tools team is – Primarily, uh, Sean's on, Alex and I, uh, just working on tools, getting our projections in better shape so that they, we can offer you the best uh, points projections as well as ownership projections and getting new tools out there uh, as well. So I would say, you know, maybe of that 50% of stuff I spend on there, maybe 50% of it is like day-to-day -day projections and 50% is project uh related type things so uh that that's like a whole whole wide thing uh of things like it could be completely new products like you're seeing us come out with uh the new xrois for which is expected roi uh on the sports betting scene this is like how much we kind of expect you to win uh in general in the on, on prop bets uh etc so spending a lot of time on those type of prod products, or we also spend a lot of time uh, on still making like our DFS projections as well as our prop projections and stuff like that as accurate as possible. So for instance, we break everything down in two week sprints. Uh, and like this current sprint, I am working on couple of different factors that we think are material to the MLB ownership projections. And based on my preliminary findings, it does seem like they are pretty material. So we're going to make another improvement to the ownership projections. And then here in the, you know, in a couple of maybe a week or so, once we get those updated, you'll see even better uh, ownership projections for MLB for us. I, I think our ownership projections are you know, every time I've ever tested them and we do a fair amount of testing on them, they've, you know, they're as good as any, they're better than anyone in the industry uh, across all the sports really. And I think we just, a lot of that is us continuing to uh, look at what's going on, why things aren't, you know, aren't a hundred percent. Why do we see this player was way off in the model and, and we go out and, and fix that. And the same thing for points projections as well, if we consistently see things that, you know, aren't working. So for instance, we made, we introduced uh, blocks to our prop bets this year, and those were, you know, super successful this season. So we want to continue to roll out those type of new products as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I wanted to ask you about that. So it sounds like uh, I was going to ask you, uh, 
have you reached a point with the Osmo projections that you don't have to do a lot of maintenance? And I guess you could, I can ask that same question about ownership projections. So you do both the actual projections, player projections, and ownership projections. Is it a lot of work in general? Are you always working on these things? Or do you feel like at this point, I mean, you said it yourself that you think you have the, the best projections, the best ownership projections in the industry. Uh, at some point, do you just say good enough? Like, or, or is it always a work in progress? So I think it kind of depends on how you think of maintenance. So there's always going to be like ongoing maintenance of, you know, we don't have this player in our player pool because he just got called up from single A because he's a top prospect and maybe our, our database only starts with triple A players or, you know, something like that. Right. So there, there's always guys uh, like that, that are going to be on there, or there's a naming issue where Josh Smith got just, uh, called up and now he has like conflicts with another Josh Smith in the database. So th those type of maintenance things are super annoying and they're kind of uh, just like a pain and they're not really like value added to the customer, but we don't have a ton of those. So I'd say that's mostly taken care of. Uh, but, but then like maintenance and continuing to improve the model. I think that's something that we're pretty much always doing. Um, you know, I think we could easily rest and say, hey, we are having the best projections and the best ownership projections in the industry. But like my example here with MLB, I mean, those are things that we have been talking about internally. And we thought, you know, all right, I think we could just make the ownership projections this much better by including these two factors. And we just set out and say, all right, how do we make them, how do we incorporate those most accurately? And um, because it's only going to make our process uh, better as well, as well as our process for, uh, for all of our users. Okay. I got a listener question that is a two-part question. And one of the questions seems relevant here. So I'm going to throw it in here. Uh, the sport guy asked, will the team have a mobile app anytime soon? And he also asked how you, Alex and Sean John and the team work behind the scenes to come up with the most accurate ownership projections. I mean, you've just kind of talked about it a little bit. It sounds like you're doing a lot of back testing of ideas that you have. Is that, uh, so maybe expound on that. Like, uh, is it something where you just have like something comes to you in the middle of the night? Like, I want to test my theory that this is a factor that could affect ownership projections or uh, what, what kind of, to the extent you're willing to share, uh, what, what kind of work are you doing behind the scenes? And and give me an estimate of like hours spent. So I know you, uh, we, we could talk about the 80 hours per week that uh, some pros have to do to to win at DFS. And and you do that work for a lot of us, uh, you know, be behind the scenes for us. But how, how much time are you spending on your models, on the ownership projections, uh, the regular projections, and uh, just more generally, what, what kind of work are you doing there? Yeah, yeah, good, good question. So, I, th I think the 80 hours is is really is a pretty fair uh, statement if you wanted to go out and build out all of your projection models yourself, play different uh, sports and um, build your lineups and late swap and do all those type of things. I, I think it is very much true that you would have to play uh, 80 hours to, to do those type of things. And, and I think from... Um, you know, from our team with Alex, Sean, and I, I, I wouldn't be, I would probably say just for the projections for the site, not even like building our own lineups and late swapping and stuff. And of, of course, you know, there, there's keeping the up, up the site and the projection updates throughout the night. I would say it, that's a pretty conservative effort on how much we spend, 
each week to do that. So, so I mean, I think what I would say is we spend the 80 hours in order to keep it so that everyone else doesn't have to spend the 80 hours so that you can just, uh, copy the work that we're doing and spend the time to build the lineups that are most advantageous to you and not having to uh, understand the rotation of the heat and who, who is or isn't going to play that day or, you know, understanding the AAA player that just got called up. You don't have to do those type of things. You can go out there, build your lineup, sweat the game and have fun with it instead of having to worry about those type of things. So yeah, together we're, we're spending a lot of time um, whether it's making those projections, uh, whether it's, you know, double checking to see if, um, Al Horford is rebounding more in the series, right. Uh, in the playoffs, the, the playoffs, we get to see seven games in a row of different teams, hopefully, uh, and how they're playing each other. And we get to pay attention to the rotations, our teams rotating differently than what they were in the regular season. Uh, so, I mean, that is certainly part of the work. And then, like I said, all taking into consideration the, like your example of, hey, I thought of this idea. Mostly I'll just like ping Alex and, and Sean and say, hey, what do you guys think about this idea? We haven't considered it before. And they'll either say, no, that doesn't make any sense. And this is why, which is super helpful in and of itself. Or uh, or they'll say, yeah, that is a good idea. Let's work on that in the next month or so, right? So we have a backlog of tasks that we want to work on and continue to uh, to improve the models and bring out new uh, products for everyone. The, the question about mobile is a good one because we, I think our mobile experience is okay right now, but we definitely need to make it a lot better. We do have a mobile app for odd shopping. Um, it's the awesome odd shopper app. So you can find sports betting very easily on uh, mobile. And I think it is a really good mobile experience from that standpoint, because it allow, allows you to just quickly sort through our all the stuff that we have on odd shopper and be able to see uh, expected ROI for players, expected win rates and all those type of things. For the DFS side, it's a little bit trickier, but we do want to get to that point at some point, um, just because it, it it is a struggle right now to be able to build lineups uh, remotely. So I think that I like that question, and it's something that we we have on our on our mind, and hopefully we'll get there before sooner than later. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually I do some like if I'm out and I have to make lineups, I actually am able to use my phone to. Uh, crunch lineup sometimes, but it's definitely not as easy as doing it on my computer. And I'm going back and forth from Fantasy Cruncher to, you know, the top stacks tool, the top pitchers tool, that kind of stuff, and doing a lot of, you know, going back and forth. But yeah, I, I can make it work. But yeah, definitely a mobile app would be uh, very cool. Also, I want to say uh, I, for one, appreciate all of the work that you guys do behind the scenes so that I don't have to put in 80 hours. Definitely saves me a lot of time that you guys are putting in that effort for me. Let me take a minute away from this conversation with Steve Buzzard to tell you about our sponsor, Noos Advantage. Noos Advantage is bringing you a different way to enjoy DFS with player props contests. It's 100% peer-to-peer to help level the playing field with over 500 player props offered. All new users get a $25 deposit bonus with promo code AWESEMO. That's A-W-E-S-E-M-O. Noos Advantage has mass entry capability with big prize pools. Beat your friends, not the house. Use our Noos Advantage projections and optimal lineup tool to help you take down big prizes. 
Download in the App Store or play on nohouseadvantage.com. I want to throw a true or false at you. So I I do a uh, I, I I'm a regular co-host on the Theory of GFS podcast with Jordan Cooper, and he theorizes that he he says that he believes that ownership projections, the the primary factor for ownership projections, is that site's own projections. So like, uh, you know, the the site your, if your projections give you a lot of a player, that is going to be uh, the primary factor in determining if that player is going to have high ownership. Do you believe that is true for most sites? And do you believe that that is, and, and if you're, I mean, to the extent you're willing to share, is that a primary factor or the primary factor in Osimo's ownership projections? Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. So I think uh, projection is an important factor uh, for sure because a lot of people are building lineups from projections. But if you're only taking your own site's own, uh, projections into consideration, it feels like you're missing a pretty big audience. So, and, and I think there's also a lot of other things that uh, sway the public into thinking who to play. So projections, I think, are, are a factor, but I would say they're far from the key factor. Okay. Well, I maybe, realize- I wouldn't, maybe they're still the key factor, but not the only factor. How about that? Okay. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. I I set that up as a true false and then I didn't ask you a true false question, but I think, I mean, you got the idea. You got what I was going for. False. Um, Okay. That's right. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. I know that was a, I I always imagined ownership projections being like you're scraping websites and like, you know, searching Twitter to figure out who's being talked about them. I mean, not searching, but like, again, scraping, like doing that kind of stuff to figure out, you know, who are people talking about the most, but that makes sense that it generally comes down to projections and who are 150 max or people using the projections, who are they going to end up with? It it makes sense to me that that does end up being a a pretty big factor in the ownership projections, but it's good to hear that you're also looking at other factors all the time. Yeah. I mean, like, projection itself is maybe important for you and I, for instance, but the people that are putting in just a couple lineups, they may not have access to projections. They may not have access to an optimizer. And if you don't have access to an optimizer, projections are really hard to just build a lineup on, right? So things like our ranking or the big board on uh, the sports that we have big boards on, um, I think are a lot more intuitive to help someone that doesn't have an optimizer to build lineups. So yeah, I think there's a lot of, a lot of things that go into it. For sure. And for, for those kind of people, I mean, uh, the lineup builder tool seems like it would be very useful. I have to admit, I don't think that I have ever actually personally used the lineup builder only because 
I use an optimizer, which, you know, does it for me and I'm, I'm not hand building one lineup, but that seems like a, a pretty useful tool for people who, you know, don't have access to fantasy cruncher. You can still make good lineups just using uh, the lineup builder tool. Um, the one thing I would say on the lineup builder tool that is really good. And it's the, it's the only lineup builder tool um, that I've seen in the industry that grades how unique your lineup is as well as how well it scores on projections so so i think it is like in especially in some a sport like baseball where your goal isn't necessarily to optimize for the best lineup unless you're playing a cash game of course but um where you're kind of looking for diversity and difference from the field uh the lineup builder really helps in that. And I, I think it's, even if you don't use it to build a lot of lineups, when you're starting off, I think it is super valuable to be able to get a kind of that intuitive sense on how your lineup is shape, shaping up compared to other lineups uh, in the contest. Maybe that's something I should start using for high stakes. I've mentioned several times that despite my the, the podcast I host being called High Stakes, I have not had a lot of personal success in high stakes DFS. So maybe that's maybe that's where I'm going wrong. Maybe I've thought, well, clearly, probably what I need to do is actually hand build because I you know was becoming a successful hand builder before I started uh, 150 maxing. Maybe I need to get back to my roots, and maybe, but maybe I need to actually be using the, the lineup builder tool to kind of tell me to guide me a little bit more. That might be uh, really useful. Um, all right. When I first started using Osmo tools and projections, I had the impression, and I think I got this actually from people. I had the impression that Alex was updating everything alone, that everything went came down to Alex doing the, you know, if there was a late scratch in the NBA, it was Alex who was going in and making all of the changes. Was that ever true? And how long have you been involved? So I guess I don't know for sure. That's a good okay. question. I'm, uh, I, I think probably that it was him he's like a robot so he can do everything um but but yeah uh definitely i hopefully (laughs) i've been helping him out so he hasn't been you know as uh amount of time (laughs) to to take him to do all that he was probably spending the 80 hours to or more to keep everything up from that i don't i don't know uh you know tom and some of the other guys may have been helping him as well but um yeah i'm not 100 percent sure on that i've been you know helping with that process for since 2020 i guess now at this okay. point uh as well as sean so i gotta say yep. it, it's, it's very comforting as much as i trust alex and i i'm sure alex was doing a phenomenal job but it's very comforting to know that there are multiple people there just in case like alex's computer goes down or something just just knowing that there are at least three people behind the scenes who have the means and the ability to uh, update, you know, projections for a player being a late scratch or something like that. It, it's comforting to me to know that there are three of you guys working on it and are all capable of doing it. Um, d- does it ever hinder your DFS play, do you think, updating projections for the site? So, for example, when there is late-breaking news in the NBA, for me, it's already a crunch. I don't have to update for anybody else. Just using the information that you give me, uh, it, it's still, you know, can be kind of a time crunch if, if news comes out late enough. Do you feel like it ever hinders your play? Like, oh, I got to update the site, and then I don't have enough time to do my own lineups? So, for the most part, I would say no, not really, because essentially... Well, a couple of things. So I would say all of us have a, we, we have in, t- in totality a good process of coming up with like different scenario projections for NBA. So we, so if LeBron isn't going to play today, we have a pretty good idea. Like we spend the time up front to make alternative projections to just kind of understand where we think 
the news is going to head. And that's not perfect because sometimes you might think, okay, LeBron isn't going to play and Taylor Horton Tucker you think is going to be the starter, but then it ends up being Avery Bradley or, you know, whatever. Right. So, so like you have to redo projections occasionally, even in the the situation. So that's not a hundred percent foolproof by any means, but that does help us get things out quickly. But I mean, if you think of it that way, for you, you said, okay, you can take the projections that we updated and then run your lineups. So I know exactly when we're updating the projections, you have to, maybe you have to refresh or do whatever. And maybe, maybe you're even like a minute or two minutes later than when, when we, we uh, update them because you aren't on the site right then. I know exactly when we've updated the projections and I could just take the projections uh, that we updated and, uh, and, and start running my lineups from there. And then plus an NBA, even if it's like a last second thing, uh, there's always late swaps. So, you know, maybe it's not a hundred percent perfect for your lineups because you maybe would have rather had Avery Bradley in a couple lineups other than some other guy that locked at seven o'clock, but it's fairly close. I think the only time I've really had too many issues, and it's kind of funny that you bring up this one is just this last Friday was actually one of the, I think it was Friday. They, they canceled two uh, baseball games like maybe 10 minutes before lock. And then also Tyler hero scratched as well at that same time. So, um, so I had to update the site for NBA and we were also updating for the MLB news and those were games that locked at seven. So it wasn't a late swipe opportunity as well for the MLB. So that was maybe like one of the more difficult ones, I guess, but in general, I don't think it uh, is too, too big of a hindrance. I've I've gotten used to the process, I guess, more than anything. So it helps me with the scenarios that we've come up with, know what to be on the lookout for and kind of what I'm going to do probably already. So I think that's pretty helpful. Okay. So, so the process of updating things does not hinder your, play at all do you ever question your decision to give up some of your edge though by sharing your knowledge with the public uh not just through doing shows and in discord but through your work on the projections and tools so yeah i mean i think if there was no awesome out there like if there was only the other sites that are giving kind of general information and don't have great projections already then maybe but the fact that there is already awesome out there uh, where everyone can get great projections. I think that edge is kind of already gone in some ways, right? So if you are not a subscriber to Awesome, you're, you're going to be kind of at a hindrance no matter what. Uh, if you are subscribing to Awesome, you already have that a lot of that edge that you would have um, with or without me. Now, certainly I hope I'm continuing to make things better, but um, but I mean, there's like so many other benefits that come with it to me that kind of outweigh uh, that lost edge, like getting a chance to hang out with people like, you know, Eddie and Tom and Sean and Alex and you and, you know, all, all, whoever else on the team. I, I can't name all, you know, 50 yeah. of the people that are awesome to hang out with. Uh, so that's really cool. Just hanging out within the community. Um, I get to do an Ask Me Anything type uh every every thursday in discord plus just hanging out and seeing people winning in uh discord like some of the nights after i kind of like i saw us taking a 
huge stand on a certain player and seeing all the screenshots coming in on our discord and knowing that that's like something that you had a, uh, a good part of, even if it was one of those people that beat me, which has happened several times, but it's still like, it feels like that's, uh, that far and kind of far outweighs like kind of the, the edge thing to me. So you kind of get the best of both worlds is what I'm hearing. I mean, you get, you're still winning. It's not like you're not, it's not like you're suddenly losing at DFS. You're still crushing DFS. But then on top of that, you get, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a fun social thing where you get to talk with all of the awesome people. Uh, and then it's, you know, it's also a good professional thing to be able to continue using your finance degree. You're the, the CFO of awesome. Uh, so it's, it sounds like you, you kind of got it good on all sides because, because it's not, you know, even if you gave up some edge, it's not like your edge is gone. You're still obviously crushing DFS. So, uh, it sounds pretty good to me. And yeah, you, you, you brought up the, uh, the AMA that you do in the discord. You had said on, on Jester's podcast, my favorite part of my week is doing the awesome discord AMA. Uh, we, we got a question from Waskupi, uh, who asked how much time, uh, do you spend on the people or management side of the business? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. So a lot, <laughs> I guess, uh, is the short answer. I, I don't know how to quantify that specifically. Um, even like in finance, you're kind of doing a lot of, um, you know, calculating uh, EV decisions and stuff like that. So it's not a hundred percent people side, but a, a fair amount, I would say definitely for sure. And then um, like, in regards to the AMA and just hanging out with people in the community, that's maybe not quite as much as I would like. So hopefully I can continue to do that a little bit, uh, a little bit more, but the AMA, that's like an hour every week that, you know, I'm just taking like any questions that people have. Um, you know, it's especially during the NBA and NFL season, that's a really busy time and get a lot of good questions and hopefully helping a lot of people out on that. And I, I know a lot of people say, Hey, I even, even if I'm not there asking questions that day, I, I go back through and read through all of your answers uh, for the week. So I think it, it feels like it's helped out a lot of people. Um, and that always feels pretty good to me. Yeah, definitely. Seems like a useful thing to have access to, to Steve answering your questions anytime you want. Uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, helpful for a lot of awesome subscribers. And I definitely check it out from time to time myself. Uh, really interesting stuff in there. Um, all right. I get, I get the impression that sports betting is kind of taking over the world. Uh, states across the country are suddenly legalizing it. Not legal in Minnesota yet, sadly, so I can't take advantage. But it seems like, you know, everyone I talk to from other states, like, yeah, we just got sports betting or, you know, obviously a lot of states have already had it. But it seems we've taken over the world uh, are you wa- working on any sports betting related tools uh for awesome and do you think awesome is ready to adjust if, if sports betting ultimately cuts into the dfs user base is, is awesome do you think in a spot where it can adjust to that looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season test your skills on prize picks the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports just select two or more players pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit 
up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. PrizePicks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, so we're, we're working on a lot of really good stuff for sports betting. And that's a great reason for you to come out to Colorado. <laughs> we, yeah. we have all, all kinds of uh, legal sports betting out here. So. Um, we, we have Odd Shopper. If folks aren't uh, familiar with that, you can find it on the, the top of our awesome homepage. You can see it up there. And then you can also just go to oddshopper.com. And that is really cool because we have so many different props right now where we're given expected ROIs for them, um, which is essentially what you what we think are the, your top bets that you can make every single day. We have some of that on the website or in our prop tool as well, allows you to kind of download our expected ROIs as well as what the best bets are at, at different sports books, which is something you don't really find many places where you can download odds directly. So that's kind of a pretty cool thing. And then we also, by the name Odd Shopper, allows you to do some shopping to see what odds are the best odds at all of the different sports books. So you're always making sure that you're getting the best odds. And that's really like such a huge part of uh, beating the sports book is finding the times that the sports books disagree with each other. So not only does it allow you to see which ones, which of the bets we think are good, but then you could also compare does MGM look better than FanDuel, which looks better than DraftKings or Caesars, uh, et cetera. So I think that is a super helpful. We're definitely continuing to build out a lot more uh, different props. So like we have already a whole bunch in NFL, NBA, we have home run and strikeout props in baseball. We're working on some more of those continuously. And then we're even going to, we also have a whole bunch of other stuff that I think we'll, you'll see coming here in the near future that I think is going to be super uh, cool and help you be able to, to win. We we've tested our uh, NFL props last year. They did really well. NBA did really well this last year as well, especially as we got to the latter half of the year, as we continue to improve our process that uh, continue to do well. And then uh, every other day, it seems like, Sean is crossing some uh, parlays with with K's these days using our our props. So, so yeah, I think we have a lot to to offer there, and we will continue to have a lot more as well. Okay, so I know that with sports betting, uh, the timeliness is more important than DFS in general. Like a lot of times, the odds are changing, the lines are changing frequently in sports betting. Uh, is is odds shopper something that is like you know the numbers come in early in the day and it doesn't update frequently, or how how frequently are the numbers on odds shopper updating? Yeah, so odds shopper is real time. You can get the num the number. I, I think it might be every two to 
three minutes or something like that. Some books might be a little bit slower than others, but in general, they should be pretty much current within the last five minutes at, at most. Uh, and in other cases, they could be within a minute or, or so also. So we definitely recommend one thing that we have noticed is if we, the, so especially for NBA, we've noticed this is we, we post our projections early in the morning at Osimo and our best bets in the morning really outperform by a, a large amount. And what we end up seeing a lot of times is the sports book end up moving their lines towards ours since we have so many uh, numbers available as well as uh, to be honest, a lot of DFS sites just kind of are, are moving with some of our, our updates as well. So, um, so I think getting your, your bets in early in the day uh, is very helpful and uh, Odd Shopper allows you to do that. And then of course, as, as news moves throughout the day, uh, you should be able to adjust for that and we can give you uh see you could see like you know which which ones are the best bet at five o'clock as well that's funny i often on shows i'm watching it and greg will like in real time be like oh this player's out that changes the line you got to go make your bet right away and i'm like i, I get a little bit of fomo since i can't do it here uh, i'm jealous of those of you who can take advantage of this stuff uh you know people posting their their betting cards on twitter big bets that they won and i'm like man i want to be able to do that but hopefully that uh is coming sooner sooner than later uh so i, I kind of touched on this a little bit but do, do you have concerns about dfs because sports betting is taking over do you have concerns about dfs not being a viable income source long term just because you know sports betting might be cutting into the market and obviously there are other relevant factors that you know the uh rate could increase that kind of thing uh do you are you concerned about dfs not being a, a viable income source long term yeah, so I guess it depends on a, a lot of factors. I, I do think that it's very possible that like DFS contests could uh, shrink over time, but we haven't really seen that too much. I, I would say it's kind of plateaued more than anything uh, right now. I don't think it's, yeah, I feel pretty confident it's not really getting bigger right now, but um, it could, I haven't really seen it started to decline yet. So if it does start to decline, then that, could be definitely a negative sign. Um, and as you know, s sports bets go more and more mainstream, I, I think that is a possibility. The thing that DFS has that sports betting doesn't have is it has the, you have the chance to win $100,000 every night or a million dollars, you know, whatever, 100 times a year. And that's something that is going to be super hard to get in sports, uh, sports betting. Sure, sure, you could play like, uh, 13 leg parlay or something like that in order to get that. But for the most part, you don't have that opportunity to have the big lottery style payout. And I think a lot of people like that. Um, so I think that there's a good place for both of them to coexist. And hopefully that will continue to be the case. I, I would say I don't have major fears of it ending anytime immediately, but I mean, it's certainly possible. It's, it's, Overall, I would say that was a reassurance statement, especially from somebody who has been in DFS from the beginning. So you've kind of seen like the landscape, you, you've seen the changing of the landscape over time. So it's reassuring to me that uh, you don't think we're going to be losing uh, DFS as a viable income source long term. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about your process. Now, we, we've kind of talked about it. Uh, 
anyway, I'm pretty sure since you're creating projections and ownership projections for Awesome Mode that you're using those and that you are using Fantasy Cruncher. So I'm going to leave out those questions. But uh, do you do simulations on the side outside of like the simulations that you do for the Awesome Mode tools, the the top stacks tool, for example? You know, a lot of that is is sim based. Do you do you run your own simulations outside of that kind of stuff? So not really. Um, mostly I will for uh maybe like research to research something like to see why for instance the cubs are coming up as 10 percent the top stack when i don't necessarily think that they could have a really big game so i might simulate those type of things but not like i i know from like some of your your conversations is like to to build out lineups and and stuff like that i don't really do that i tried to to kind of play around with it a little bit and do those type of things, especially when there were no sports going on during COVID. So I talked a lot with, uh, with Brian Hooper. I know he, he talked a lot about it a lot on, on his show. And the, the thing that I just found was there were just like so many minute things that really changed the outcome of your simulation. Like if you had, no, for whatever reason, if the lineups that you created for your simulation were didn't have any lineups with player A and player B together except for one, that lineup, you know, might grade out really well. When in reality, it's just kind of an average lineup uh, in general because there are going to be some lineups with those two players together. And so there's just like a lot of random things that really sway your. Um, Oh, you're the lineups that you could make from a simulation to not just not be very accurate of what is actually going to happen in the contest and be and in sense then because of how top heavy they are like it skews your results so much and I, I it doesn't feel like it, it can give you a the most robust answer to stuff whereas compared to if you're just like running fantasy cruncher and making your lineups from that type of process we're looking at uh, the top stacks or something. Uh, it feels like you can control those better. Maybe if you did like on um, the interview that Nerdy Tenor talked about where he kind of pitted all the lineups against each other to kind of come up with lineups that people were going to use and you could really come up with a smart smart way to figure that out, then maybe. But I kind of feel like even his, I don't know his process, just but just from the way he was talking about it, I feel like even that is just going to have so many lineups that people are just not going to use built in ways that they aren't going to use. And it just, there's just too many flaws uh, in my opinion. Yep. Uh, speaking of, you brought up Nerdy Tenor, you brought up Brian Hooper, and it has come to my attention that some asshole out there has been asking people on a show uh, whether they play game theory optimal versus exploitative style of DFS. <laughs> Of course, I'm joking. That that I, I am that asshole uh, w- without totally understanding what GTO means, or at least not explaining it well. So I'm I'm going to leave out the GTO aspect of this question and just ask you, what kind of uh, style do you think you play of DFS? Would you call yourself call yourself an exploitative DFS style player or some some other kind of style? Uh, I would say much more closer to exploitive player than GTO player, and. I think because we have ownership projections that are so good at Osimo that if you aren't taking advantage of mistakes that people are making and they make them in very 
systematic ways that you are not fully taking advantage of um, the right strategy. Like you don't need to play a perfect set of lineups to uh, have the best ROI. I think it's a lot easier to take advantage of the mistakes that other people are making. So, so I'd look at things like leverage and top stacks and go more that route than directly on, okay, the Cubs are 10% optimal. I'm going to go 10% on the Cubs. I will instead say, hey, the Cubs are 10% optimal, but the field is going to them, own them 7% of the time. So I want to go something over 10% on them. And that seems like to me, I mean, I get it that if you didn't know what they were going to do, that 10% would be the correct answer. And that makes a lot of sense. But I feel like we know with pretty high confidence what people are going to do. So we might as well take advantage of that information. Yeah, that, make, that makes sense to me. Um, and I, I think part of the reason that I got pushed back uh, for asking people whether they play GTO is that most of us don't have the means of playing GTO, just giving it some more thoughts. It sounds like Nerdy Tenor is one of the few who actually probably has the means of playing GTO because he runs uh, all of these simulations and, and a lot of us probably don't actually have that ability. Also, as somebody, so I'm not involved in the Awesomeo tools at all. I'm not even an Awesomeo employee, but I get the impression that uh, the, the tools kind of set you up to play an exploitative style. I mean, they're telling you exactly like the percent the ownership projections of players and they're telling you their odds of being in the optimal lineup, which kind of, to me, sets you up to play exploitatively. Would you, would you agree with that, that to some extent, at least the tools kind of tell you what you should do if you want to play an exploitative, exploitative style? Yeah, and one thing that we're going to be working on releasing here for each of the sports is kind of like a strategy guide for new users on how they should look at the different tools and how they should uh, interpret them and make a quick strategy so that we can eliminate like mistakes that people are making right away. And I think that exploitative approach is definitely one of those uh, one of those processes. I mean, technically, you could kind of play an a GTO strategy with our tools in a lot of senses like mm -hmm. you could play 10 percent of the cubs right you could just go by that type of uh, approach and not consider our ownership projections at all um and so it's possible i i think there's a there's a couple of things that you maybe would need in addition to some of the tools like you know maybe it says you should play uh Walker Bueller, he's going to be optimal 30% of the time, but you should really play him a little bit more because you don't need the very optimal lineup, right? So, so there, there's like some small things that you could, uh, you could probably do to, to get to a little bit better GTO, but mm. I think you could, you could probably play kind of close to GTO in a lot of the sports, especially like MMA or, or something like that. I think you could, you could probably do that. Uh, but our general goal is, yeah, you should, the general, I, I would call the general awesome strategy is more exploitative. Okay, that's good, because that's that's definitely my takeaway from the tools is that this is kind of telling me how to play exploitatively, which is, I think that's just kind of my, was general, my my general lean anyway, was how can I take advantage of the field, the field's mistakes, and then the tools kind of showed me, uh, put numbers on how to do that, so uh, definitely helpful for me in, in trying to play exploitatively. Um, it's, wor it's worked out well for you. It has. It, it has gone. It has gone well for me overall, for sure. Um, all right. So 
let's talk about like just general like game day process uh what you what your typical process looks like and i guess it's it's a little bit different for you because you are doing stuff behind the scenes as well but uh when does your work start on an nba slate in terms of actually building out your lineups i don't know if it's possible for you to decouple your your process of building lineups versus your work for the site but if it is uh, what, what does it look like for you when you're starting to actually build your lineups uh on a day that you're obviously not on a show or anything going up to lock yeah, so the main thing that I'm probably starting, uh, let's see, five, I'm trying to think of Eastern time, but that's what everyone thinks of, maybe five or 5.30 Eastern time, something like that. Um, and mainly just to kind of get a sense of which type of players are kind of coming up a lot and also kind of thinking about which players might um, more, more than likely, like if they come into play, how, how valuable they're going to be, I guess. So that's kind of like the main thing that I do. And luckily like with our tool, I can just like plug in the, our, what our scenario is going to be. And I can kind of get an understanding of, you know, what it, what it will look like if Jimmy Butler is out or what it'll look like if, you know, whatever this other player is starting that we think is a possibility that they might be starting. So that's kind of what I'm doing at about that time frame. And then I do like to listen to kind of our shows in the background. So of course, when you're on there or Adam, or I, I really enjoy like the live before lock that in particular is a lot of fun. Uh, just especially when, Eric and Greg make a make a fun uh, combo of going They're back and duo, forth, yeah. at, of going back and forth at each other, and giving out great information at the same time. So, uh, so that's a lot of fun. So I normally will watch that, or at least have it on in the background, and I'll try to catch deeper dive uh, quite a bit also because Adam's like definitely like one of the best in the business. So it's good to be able to uh, hear what he might be saying and if he has some different takes on what the rotations will look like or something like that so yeah I mean that's kind of my general process and then hopefully I get everything uploaded before <laughs> before a lot comes around so uh, definitely building stuff up until lock and then uh, I'm a pretty heavy late swapper I would say also so yeah. my 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 late swap process is just to hang around and be ready for any news that comes out because we have spent so much time thinking about what is going to happen in those scenarios. I think that's a big advantage that you get as a awesome subscriber. We get the, that news out there really quickly and those minutes updated and hopefully get a nice edge for folks. Definitely, definitely useful for, for me to have that stuff pretty quickly. Do you ever make assumptions uh, different than the Osmo projection? So, for example, when a player is questionable, I can't remember what Alex said uh, for, for NBA at this point. I think uh, you assume that they're in until the, unless they're doubtful or out. You have to assume that a player is going to be in because, uh, yeah, I think that's what he said, that you have to assume that a player is going to be in when doing the projections uh, because then those are going to give you more late swap opportunities, essentially, if you assume that the starter is going to be in. It's easier to swap down than to swap up. Do you ever go into a slate, though, making the options? opposite assumption with your own lineups because you have access to the you know the ability the access you have access to here's what it would look like here's what the projections would be if this player is ruled out do you ever make those kinds of assumptions uh for your own set of lineups i do occasionally um especially if it's if there's a couple of games that the very late locks that i want to make sure i have 
spaces locked up. Like I don't, I don't want to fill all those spaces up with seven o'clock game type yep. players. Um, so I will in those cases. And I would say that that's probably not the most likely thing that'll happen. Mm-hmm. But if I just see a so much value that is going to open like you know alex len or uh is going to start or uh you know somebody white side some some of us a lot of those really cheap centers for instance those those are the ones that really stand out um if if it looks like there's a chance that those guys might start or i might like to build those lineups to have them uh ready but i would say that that's less often the case that i do that you usually um, just use most of the time it, i will just late swap more yeah. so than anything yeah I, unless i just see that i'm getting like i said if i'm getting all kinds of guys from the seven o'clock game and i just don't want that to happen that would be yeah. trying to build in some some better projections for the the later guys yeah I, I do the same thing too it's probably just uh not as sophisticated as you because i don't have any kind of actual like uh precise uh, projections for what would happen if in that center, if Rudy, Rudy Gobert is ruled out, I'll just give a big boost to uh, his backup Hassan Whiteside and, and make a, a set of lineups where I'm assuming Gobert is out and then I'm going to want some, some Whiteside, but yeah, it's definitely not something that is a, a very sophisticated process for me when I do go away from the, the assumptions in the tools. Um, what, what sport would you say you have the biggest edge in and where does that edge come from? Um, so that's a good question. I think, I don't know that I, I don't know that I think that there's a huge difference between NBA, MLB, and uh, NFL. I think if I look at my ROIs, most of those are pretty similar um, in general. You know, if I especially if I take out like Millimaker win, for instance, in NFL, then they're probably pretty similar. Maybe NBA is slightly ahead. Um, I think the biggest edge though is, is probably overall as an MMA, I would guess, because I think that one is still in the early stages or maybe NFL showdown also. Mm-hmm. Um, both of those are kind of like, it's not as easy as it was like back in 2015 and 2016 for NBA and those before people got better at them, but it's close to that kind of type thing people that haven't figured out all of the strategies yet for them so i would say probably those maybe nfl showdown is getting a little bit tougher um as we go along so maybe nfl showdown two years ago was was more that spot but mma uh probably is the easiest one right now i would say especially like when that was the only thing in town and they were running really big contests people were playing that terribly and i think they've gotten a little bit better now but um, I, I think that's probably still my highest ROI, I would say. Really? Okay. I know that I, I saw just when I started playing MMA, you took down like one of the, the first contests that I was in, I think. Uh, but I, I have not had a lot of success in MMA. I've been still working on it, but I think I, I think, would you agree with me that MMA is a sport where you kind of need to put in more time than a lot of other sports because, because a lot of it is getting unique and you can't do that via like correlation. And a lot of times if you leave too much salary on the table, you're ending up making lineups that are, uh, that are not going to have a good chance at actually winning. Do, would you say that you need to put in more time for MMA or is that just, or do you think I'm wrong about that? That's interesting. Um, I put in like the least amount of time for really? MMA, okay. I think. Um, so, so it might be, it probably could help me out some more if I was putting in more time in it. Basically what I can do is like, look at our top fighters tool and get majority of the information that I need from, 
uh, that tool. You know, I, I use our projections and our ownership as well too, but that one gives me a good idea of how often that player can make it into the top six or how often that player can get a uh, score over 100. And I guess maybe I play a little bit more game theory optimal, I guess, in MMA because I'm trying to, well, still probably not game theory optimal exactly, but um, I use those data points, which are kind of along those lines and then, you know, help me be able to understand how much I want of those type of players and kind of figure that a lot of times the field is, you know, maybe a little bit over-reliant on projections. So, so yeah, I think those tools really help out a, a ton, and I think you can really do pretty well on MMA. Now, I should, to your point, I should probably spend a little bit more <laughs> more time on uh, doing it outside of just the tools, though. The It feels like, to me, NBA is the one that takes the most time because, well, for me, I guess, because I'm always thinking about what the rotations look like. If you're, yeah. if you're, if you're just going to, you know, use our projections, which uh, already takes, saves you all that time. I think, you know, you could just kind of plug in the projections and run them in FC and make some really good lineups right from the get go. So I guess for me, I'm on a research side NBA takes the, the longest, but um, from like a user, probably NBA is the easiest, I guess, and the shortest. So, so I don't know, I guess it all depends on what, what side of, of the things you're on. Yeah. Yeah. I actually spend a good amount of time on NBA and I don't spend nearly enough time on MMA. I just know in talking with Jordan Cooper regularly, and then in talking with Brian Jester, I know that both of them sound like they spend a ton of time on MMA kind of perfecting their lineup. So I get the impression that those guys spend a lot of time on it, but you've had a lot of success. Uh, it sounds like using, uh, spending less time on it. So maybe it's not as necessary. Uh, I also, I, the, the top fighters tool is definitely a big part of my process lately. And I think that I've been making lineups that at least seem to me to be more plus EV when I do try to build in. I like cap my players uh, loosely based on the their, their odds of being uh, scoring 100 points or more and then looking at the ownership. And, you know, it's kind of a, a process for me. But I generally spend like 40 minutes on MMA and I feel like I could benefit from, you know, spending a little bit more time than that on it yeah. at least. But yeah. Yeah, that's probably me as well. I, I probably could should spend some more time on it, but I'm probably spending similar to like what you're saying. Okay. Um, all right. I want to talk a little bit about live finals just because in looking through your results, I noticed that you've been to several different live finals, uh, both FanDuel and DraftKings uh, and, and across several different sports. You've been to a ton of different live finals. As as you alluded to, you've, you've met Alex there and I've been to several with him. But uh, And of course, you won the FanDuel NFL Championship in 2018. Uh, so I want to get into like why you what, what uh, attracts you to qualifier events. But I really want to start with the fact that you went to a live final at the Playboy Mansion in 2015, which was like the heyday of DFS, where it was just <laughs> wild. I, I'm reading uh, Dueling with Kings right now, and, and I can tell it was like, man, it was a different atmosphere back in 2015. So I just want to start there. What, what was that experience like? Uh, and were there any other DFS names that I might recognize there? Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, 
Price Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Price Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, so it's probably a dip- different atmosphere now because all of us that were playing in 2015 are seven years older now. Yeah, <laughs> so that, that's the problem. But there are a lot of new young young guns that are pretty impressive that are, are coming out right now. Um, so that final, I'm trying to remember who all was there. I can't, it feels like so many of the players that I hung out with at that event aren't playing anymore actually but there there's a lot of really good ones like a good friend of mine jl003 jesse was there i still talk to him quite a bit um a buddy of mine chris was there he he uh he's a close friend of mine and actually won second in that event that uh so that was super cool to be able to hang out and get uh, that experience and then you know, of course all of like the original uh Andia. great players yeah were yeah. there i don't know if kandi was there or not i'm not sure i okay. don't feel like he played those type of qualifiers but he may he may have been and i just don't don't recall but um yeah just a, a lot of people and that, that was a fun time um I, I don't know if there's anyone in particular event that uh stood out as being so much more fun but they're they're really all fun the i probably first started going to them because that was just a way to get more money in play okay so i would just go uh and play those contests and they offered a pretty good return the so i you know like i said my buddy got second at that that one one they they were running a whole bunch of small ones back in 2015 for MLB which was pretty cool there was like a 10 person uh contests where the the finals was just like 10 people and whoever won those 10 tickets and there were i don't know ticket values were whatever 20,000 or or something like that they weren't yeah. as huge because there's only 10 people but you could go to a bunch of different places and i went to several of those that year uh, won one of those and that was you know kind of fun just kind of going around and hanging out with a couple of people you know, it was actually was uh, pretty fun because you would you would get to those with 10 people and it would be like two or three good players and then like seven people that kind of just randomly won the tickets and you could just uh, win those kind of easily almost like with a cash lineup of course and so that was kind of interesting and then um, then yeah the had pretty good luck overall so so I think that just kind of kept me playing uh, and as I went to each of them it was just fun hanging out with different people you get to go to different locations so we got you know trips out to 
LA and Vegas and Denver and Boston and Chicago and all over the place and got to go to a lot of different places, meet a lot of different people. And they're always just a lot of fun. They take care of you really well at the events, whether it's, uh, you know, having the best drinks available or the, going out to some of the best restaurants or just hanging out with people. I think it's just a lot of fun. So I, I wouldn't say I go after them hard if I don't get a ticket and it's not going to be the end of the world because I've been to quite a few of them. So I won't max out on any of them just because I know it's a um, high risk, I guess. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's a lot of fun to, to do. So do you, do you sometimes you, you get one ticket and you say, that's enough because you've already won the vacation, the experience of going to live final, you don't need to keep going and, and max out the contest? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I might still play, uh, play them less. I think my general thing is like, maybe I'll enter like 1% into the uh, qualifiers and I won't enter them all either. Like if they run some that are super high dollar ones and the only people that are in it are Sean and Alex and Whistles Go Woo and McLovin and those guys, then maybe I'm not going to, to join that one. But if it's um, one of the larger ones, you know, with like $10 entries or $40 entries or stuff like that. I'll normally do like 1% instead of like the 3% that it, that you could max it. Um, and then that, if I already have a ticket, you know, maybe I'll skip even more of them. And instead of doing 1%, maybe I'll do a half of a percent or something like that. So that's kind of how I think of it. You only really need one to one to make the, the trip and then two to uh, come up with the best lineup. So you're yeah, just making worse and worse lineups every time you make more of them. So, uh, so it's kind of defeats, it's kind of a diminishing return, I guess, essentially. Yeah, that makes sense. And you kind of, you, you answer the question, what attracted you to live final? It sounds like it's the money involved. It is typically, at least these days, there is a lot more money involved. Live finals have the biggest payouts generally. And then also the experience uh, is pretty great. Anything else uh, that attracts you to live finals or is that kind of your answer there? Yeah, I think that's the main thing. Pe meeting the people like, wouldn't have been able to meet like Alex and all these other guys that I've talked to throughout the experience. So yeah, I think it's, I think that's been super cool. Let me take a minute away from this conversation with Steve Buzzard to remind you to give us a like and subscribe so you can keep up with all of our shows, DFS offers, giveaways, and much more. Once you subscribe, hit that notification button to get alerts when our shows go live. Be sure to also check out our monthly podcast giveaway. Just subscribe to our podcast channel and leave a five-star review with your Osmo username or Twitter handle to be entered to win a free month of Osmo Plus Platinum. All right, well, let's, let's get to a few listener questions uh, before we close it out. Uh, got one from Will Sue, who won a Millie Maker this past year in NFL. He said, uh, Steve talked about his COVID recovery with Brian Jester on the Emotional Bakerel podcast back in February. Uh, I, I just re-listened to that podcast. It sounded like you had it pretty bad, like you were really struggling with COVID, maybe had long COVID. Uh, so he, he said he was wondering if things have normalized recently or if it has changed your playing style at all. Uh, so I didn't know that Will was a Millie Maker winner. Congrats, Will, for that. Um, it's hard to keep track with everyone who, who's won those now. But um, yeah, so I would say it's not 100% better. And yeah, it definitely is the long, long COVID. It, it's been starting to get better, though. Um, for the first probably year it was just really exhausting and took a lot out of me to even do basic tasks I would say or and having like 
the excitement to do things and just being tired all the time. So that really was pretty exhausting. It feels like it's getting a little bit better every day. I have definitely in the last couple of months of just seeing like feeling more like what I'm used to feeling like. Um, so that's kind of helped. I would say it has probably impacted my DFS play because I didn't feel as motivated to research things as, as much. So it probably put me a little bit behind um, where I maybe was going on my tra trajectory and, and those type of things. But hopefully, you know, we continue to work on a lot of the things that I was mentioning in uh, the emotional bankroll and hopefully, you know, mental aspects of DFS is probably one of the biggest things that people don't talk about. So hopefully I'll continue to, to get better at that. And, you know, luckily I, I'd say my results have still been good. Um, so that's been a plus. Although this last NFL season was not that great, but can't, you just can't won win MLB this past Sunday or whatever. One of, a few days ago, you won MLB, and it seems like you're you're near the top every day in MLB. Like uh, you're one of the few names that I see up there pretty consistently. So uh, it seems like at least your your DFS play has uh, kind of seems to be coming around. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think so. I mean, it's luckily a lot of it is process that I have existing and stuff like that. So you know that that helps out a lot. Um, now, if only I could win some of the hundred Ks like Sean wins every day, that would be uh, yeah. that would be that's helpful. A big help. Well, we got one today. <laughs> we got we got an MLB hundred K today, so uh, that's ho hopefully one of us can go take it down. Hopefully, me if I'm if I'm being honest, but if it's not me, I hope it's you. <laughs> All right, uh, All right. fair enough. Rinpak asks, "What was Nicole's reaction when you won?" I assume Nicole is your wife uh, when you won two commas, and he says, uh, "Yeah, shut out, Mrs. Buzzard." So. Um... Yeah, yeah, I, I uh, appreciate Eric's response to that as well. But um, so I would say it was pretty calm uh, in general. I think my favorite response was it was late in the fourth quarter when of the last games, and she got back home and I was like, "Hey, look what we're <laughs> look what we're, we're winning," and she's like, "I never want to know what we're winning until everything is over," but. I had been uh, home and playing video games with the, with the kids and actually just been leading for pretty much all of the afternoon slate. So I was kind of getting a little bit antsy to tell somebody. So <laughs> that, that was kind of her, her main response. And then um, certainly she was a, a bit, you know, pretty excited after finally getting that uh, win to come out. So in general, I think we've won a lot. So it, you know, Obviously, that was still a big uh, a change to our finances, but maybe not as big of a reaction as maybe what it would have been a few years earlier. Yeah. Um, and and that's still like we we were talking about that. I I saw Ryan's question. I brought that up to Nicole, and it was like we were we were talking about even at the live final that year when uh, we won the NFL one. It was kind of like. FanDuel probably didn't get quite the emotional reaction that they get out of most people, which I feel kind of bad about a little bit because it was, that's their marketing thing. But at the same time, I was like within a couple, like, so the way that that, that went down was there, there was a final drive where basically Tom Brady needed, if he would have scored anything, like it was first in goal, I think. Uh, and that was like the last major game that was 
left for the live final anyways. And he, if I needed him to not to score anything, this, this was another one where I was leading for quite some time and just kind of holding, trying to hold people off and he didn't score anything. So like that was pretty much locked up the live final, which was great. And they kind of, you know, they're recording it and, and stuff, but at the same time, there was this game, the Seattle game was going on and it was going to overtime. It didn't mean anything for the live final, but I had uh, two lineups that were still live to win the fan millionaire, uh, whatever they call it, that they run. That one, it was all the people that aren't, um, you know, at the live final and you could just buy in for whatever you could buy in. And so I was very, <laughs> so I was very focused on that one still. So I, so FanDuel, if I get in there and I'm going to win another one, FanDuel gods or DraftKing gods or DFS gods or whoever it is, I will have a better reaction for for you next time for for that one. Let me win another one here and I can uh, make up for that one. But that one did not work out. And uh, that would have been a nice one to have won both of those on the same day. But that no one such was luck. for Millie? Yeah, yeah, no such luck. But that was keeping me on my, so that was keeping me kind of distracted a little bit. Yeah, and, and you got that big check. That that is actually your profile picture is, is winning that uh the the FanDuel championship, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. Okay. That was out in uh, New York. I've never I've never got to hold one of those big checks. Is it heavy? How's it feel? Uh, a little up? bit. Is it? Yeah, I mean, it's not like super heavy, but like it's if you're awkward. just uh yeah, yeah, it's awkward. Right. It's uh interesting to carry around in the um, airport needless to say <laughs> yeah i can imagine in the, uh, in the belt as well <laughs> oh yeah that's got to be tough that's got to be really tough so. better just not win i would think uh, all right uh, you, nah. you mentioned eric Linquist's uh, response he said uh, that your wife is better than 729 millimaker w's absolute legend of a lady uh how has everybody met your wife i have not had the pleasure of meeting your wife do you, do you take her to live finals with you or have, have you gone on uh trips out to san diego or something yeah, at live finals. She, I would say she makes it out to, I don't know, maybe half or so, something like that. Maybe not quite even that many, but she's made it out to a few. Uh, so they've seen her out in Miami and Denver and a couple of those locations as well as uh, the kids. And the kids love talking to Eric because he's like a big kid. So <laughs> and he's big bird. He, I mean, come on. He, yeah, he, he plays a lot of... Uh, you know, video games like, like me and the kids. And like I said, that, that's what I was doing the whole time. Uh, the, that game was coming down the wire for, um, for the Millie maker, just, you know, playing games with the kids. And that was kind of like, I had said, Hey, I'm going to, we're going to play games once we're done building lineups. And that's, you know, that's the way it is. So, um, so yeah, we like playing video games a lot. Nice. Fun stuff. Um, all right. I'll, I'll go on to another listener question from Ruddy Brilliant, who asks, do the whistles go woo more than the buzzer goes buzz? <laughs> Trying to set up a boxing match here. Oh, I, I don't know about a boxing match. Um, so I feel pretty confident I've won more than whistles go woo <laughs> lifetime, but I've been lifetime. playing a lot longer than him, too. So he's gaining on me really quickly. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, right now, the whistles go woo probably more often than the buzzer goes buzz. But maybe not right. lifetime though. Yeah, and and I think you're winning still enough these days that uh, at least a conversation. Not many, not many people are in the conversation with whistles go woo for the past couple of years. So uh, <laughs> yeah, lifetime I'd say you probably have the edge, but uh, it's good to just be in the conversation still. Um, all right, uh, Rafael Michael Soto asks, uh, 
how do you overcome your biases when creating lineups? And uh, he wants to know about your bankroll management. We've kind of touched on bankroll management already that uh, it's not a concern just because you win so much, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> uh, but uh, how, how do you overcome your biases? And I don't know if this is based on your screen name being DeColts or if there are other uh, biases that maybe come into play, but uh, do you have a good answer for that question? How do you overcome uh, yeah. your biases? So, let me, let, me, let, me do, let me hit on bankroll management okay. first for a, a quick second. So, so I think bankroll management is still pretty important, especially just on the uh, mental side of things. And while I'm not good at it, there are quite a few things that I do to, to keep my bankroll in check. Like I don't max enter the high stakes contest. My ROI says I should be just max entering those, but... I don't want to take on like the ups and downs that go with it. I've heard many people talk about their downswings and I'd rather just kind of have that steady <laughs> upward swing and maybe like some smaller down downward swings. Uh, so I, I do kind of avoid that a little bit. And like I said, also on the, um, the um, live finals, like I'm only entering in a fraction. I'm not like max entering those. My goal is like never been to be at the top of the Roto Grinders rankings. And actually, if you look at my Roto Grinders history, you'll see like I have records in there from like 2015. And then I don't have anything in there until I started with Awesome Oats because I just took my name off there completely because I didn't even want to compare myself to others. So I didn't feel like I had to push myself uh, to be higher. And that uh that was kind of my way to get around bankroll management a little bit but you know with going at awesome i was like okay probably should make sense to at least kind of show where i'm standing there and since i am kind of you know touting things so i thought that that was kind of a, a helpful thing um and then overcoming my biases i think the biggest thing there is i don't um I try not to even really have any because I'm kind of just going mostly by my process. I make my process as consistent as possible every single day. I actually did a uh, pro video of that on how you should make your process consistent every day. And then I don't uh, let anything sway me because basically that's what, uh, you know, that's basically what it is. And that's what my process told me should be the answer. So I'm going to stick with that process. I'm not going to uh, pick somebody from the Colts just because I want them to win this game or I don't really like this other player. Um, so keep your process as consistent as possible. Then also, I don't watch as many games as I used to. Like I said, it's being, I used to watch a ton of games. Um, one, I don't watch them because I don't have time and I rather spend the time with my family doing things that they want to do. But two, I think it also, it just, it does bias you quickly. One, one thing I remember when I was starting up, uh, there was, there was this game and I'm trying to remember who it was and I can't off the top of my head right now, but there, there was a NBA, uh, player that, you know, he was, I had, I felt like I had a really good shot to, to win the tournament. And he just was, I, I turned on the game and was watching it. And th this player was just like standing over the corner doing nothing and just got really frustrating. And then I saw myself not wanting to put him in my lineups. 
Um, and back then I was only building three lineups. So when you're hand building, it's a lot easier to, you know, it's a lot harder to not have biases get in to your play. And I just consistently not putting him in there. And then I saw him do well and winning tournaments and just like, well, that's a, that's a dumb bias to have in mind just because I watched him not win a contest for me. So, um, yeah, <laughs> so you, I don't you, watch as many games. You, you actually, you thing. talked about that on, on the podcast with Jester. And I, I thought it was one of the more interesting points that, uh, the, the point you made is that if you can watch every game, it is beneficial to watch sports. Like you can, you can gain some knowledge if you watch like every play, every game, but if you're not watching every play, every game, you're just watching here and there, that is where you develop biases because you're not seeing the whole portfolio you're maybe seeing. And you gave the example, I think, and I don't remember who the player is now either. I, I was trying to think of it, but you gave the example of a player who you were watching and they just, uh, kind of sat in the corner and didn't really do anything for me that example is actually several years ago clay thompson i remember the first time i ever watched clay thompson play he was just standing in the corner and not doing anything i was like why am i playing this guy in dfs all the time like he sucks he doesn't do anything so uh, i i think that was a really good point that it's like if you want if you can watch every game all the time then maybe you can actually gain some knowledge and it's beneficial to watch players and watch sports but if you're not watching enough if you're just watching snippets here and there that is where you kind of develop biases was a point that you made that i found really really interesting there yep exactly if you have 80 hours to watch all those games then maybe <laughs> yep which i guess the rest of us do because we don't spend it uh on the tools like you do so maybe maybe that's maybe i have no excuses i need to be watching all these games um all right our final question comes from producer mike lawrence aka awesome Yo, who asks who is your favorite space buzz is it buzz aldrin or is it buzz lightyear oh i've got to go with buzz lightyear there no doubt uh looking forward to the new Buzz Lightyear movie, right? That's coming out as of this summer, I think, but we've, we've, with the family, we've watched uh, many Toy Stories. So I think that's one of my favorite series. So All right. that's a no, that's no, no brainer, Buzz Lightyear. All right. Easy, Final answer. easy question there. Good. Yeah. I, as somebody who doesn't have kids, I don't really know. I, I think I have seen Toy Story, the, the original, I think I've seen it, but uh, I don't remember it at this point. I'm, I'm glad that you have a stronger opinion on that question. Okay. <laughs> Well, you should check out the uh, other ones. They're, they're good even, even without kids. All right. Good to know. Um, all right. So so the, the question that I've been closing it out with every week uh, is, and maybe you've already talked about this a little bit. Uh, it's kind of the, the only, the, the issue with bringing up this question last is that oftentimes it seems like we have already talked about this to some extent, but tell me about your favorite DFS win or DFS win celebration. Um, so... So I think I'll, I actually, I was trying to debate this one because I know you have been asking it. I think my, my favorite is actually way back in 2015 NBA. Um, there was a slam contest that was like 50K to first. And that one, I think, maybe not necessarily just for that, but just like the, that whole time frame where... I was winning several contests like that. And it was just a feel of like how consistently the, you, those are winning. And this is the time I'm building up a bankroll. And that like that 50,000, I think had so much more impact on everything else that, you know, maybe if I didn't win that contest or a couple of the other contests in that time frame, maybe I wouldn't have dedicated as much time to it going forward maybe it wouldn't have resulted in the millimaker maker win the final all the other 100k wins maybe it wouldn't have stopped 
you know, wouldn't have moved out to Colorado or uh, met the Osimo team and stuff. So it just feels like those wins back there. And, and that there's one in particular was a, a slam win that, you know, was, you know, leading uh, that night. And I could just remember winning that $50,000 contest. I think that was the first 50,000 that I had won and I think that would be probably it, it wasn't a great celebration because it was pretty late at night and everyone else was already in bed yep. so it was that just, usually the case for you too where it's like by the time you win the house is asleep you're just by yourself seems to be more uh, often than yeah, not for me I would say so um most so that's one nice thing I guess about being in Colorado I make it to the end of the slate more often oh, a yeah. lot of times out on the east coast when you have to get up the next morning early I'm like checking just to see what I won the next morning <laughs> so at least now I get to sweat out till the end of the games more often but but at that point I was on east coast and I was staying up for that one so um so I was certainly I was new to it that at that point um yeah, but yes, you're right. Uh, more often than not, the family is in bed. And in general, I don't really talk about it with the family too much. So I give I give Nicole the updates when uh, uh, it's a super big win or when taxes come around. So that's <laughs> yes. that's the main updates. And she and to her credit, she doesn't really want to know much else from from that. So nice. Yeah, I'm a, as a night owl, I'm usually up until the end of slates. It's pretty rare for me to fall asleep before a slate is over, but I'm kind of jealous of the people who can, you know, go to bed and wake up with six figures in their bank account or some some big win in their bank account. Seems like a lot of fun, but I, I have never had that experience because I'm always up till the end of the slate anyway. <laughs> um, all right, Steve. So uh, at Steve Buzzard on Twitter, uh, where else can people find you? Uh, in Discord Thursdays. Ask me anything. Swing by. Um, doesn't even have to be DFS. News guide likes to ask me all kinds of other non-DFS questions, but most of them are DFS questions. So uh, come by there or feel free to. I'm really bad. I've noticed at getting on D Discord for DMs, but I will eventually get back to you on that. They just don't pop up. I don't have a good way of the tra way. tracking those very well. Yeah. So I will get back to you. But if I didn't get back to you originally. <laughs> uh that's probably why and you could dm me on twitter as well so that was always a good good approach all right right on well thanks again steve it was a lot of fun having you on for episode 16 of high stakes thanks again to mike lawrence for producing and thank you for watching you'll be able to find episode 17 of high stakes next friday on the osmo youtube channel or wherever podcasts live have a great weekend Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. 
If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.